listening to episode 37 of Spoken Word with Electronics. This is the second to the last show of the year. We are almost through the end of the year. That's terrific. Next week, I'm planning a New Year's episode. And this week, because I'm festive, I like to make this week about the December holidays. If you're a secular person, you probably have a sense of humor about what holiday you enjoy best at this time of year. A lot of people tend to prefer something like Saturnalia, which uh, refers to the Roman times and is a pagan festival honoring the god Saturn. Or you like the basic holiday ones that show up on the Hallmark Channel like Christmas or Hanukkah. And there are other ones, of course, like Kwanzaa and stuff like that. Seinfeld made Festivus famous, and Festivus is an anti-commercial holiday. A Festivus tree is actually just a pole that is uh, attached to two planks of wood. And of course, Jerry Stiller made Festivus an amazing institution with his scream of uh, airing of grievances, where he just complained to everyone in the room about what they've done wrong over the last year. Jerry Stiller was very funny, and in some ways this is a funny flip on the Jewish holiday Purim. Purim should really be a holiday that more people know about, as opposed to Hanukkah, in terms of Jewish holidays that are pretty neat. In the Bible, for Purim, you are instructed to get as drunk as possible, in such a way as to clear up grievances, not air them. Specifically, you're supposed to get so drunk that you can't tell friend from enemy. I, uh, I don't drink anymore, but I love the idea of Purim. And I've always sort of joked that it stands for Purim, another one. And my thought of Purim is that it actually somehow influenced Larry David or other writers on the show to talk about Festivus as sort of like an opposite of Purim. And they thought of Festivus to be a holiday where you air your grievances to surely make all friends in the room into your enemies as opposed to Purim where you let go of your grievances and make every enemy in the room a friend. And in this way, I think the reason why Festivus works so well as a good rule of comedy is to always flip an idea. And that's partly how I see Festivus existing in our culture in a funny way. It's a beautiful invention. My understanding of Festivus is that it actually predates the show. Let me double check something, do some online Googling. So Festivus, it said, uh, was originally created by a editor at Reader's Digest, Daniel O'Keefe, and then it was adopted into Seinfeld. Wonderful idea. In terms of a year that can deserve Festivus, this year feels pretty grievances packed. I'm an optimist and I try not to hold grudges. And in fact, I doubt that in a real setting, uh, if I was to air my grievances to a room full of people that I considered family and friends, I would hope uh, that I didn't have any in that moment. Try not to keep those things from people, so there would be no surprises at Festivus for me. But this is a year for grievances. I have a couple, and I'm sure everyone does. Officially, Festivus is said to begin on December 23rd, incidentally, and that's a funny day before Christmas Eve, so sort of a spoil sport in terms of its arrival. I'm thinking actually of Seinfeld tonight because, or rather not Seinfeld specifically, but television, because TV has actually been a real companion these last 10 months, 
or is it 11 months? How many months? Oh my god. Nine months? I have no fucking clue. This last year since uh, we kind of bunkered down halfway through March. Television has been our community in some ways. And I've had a strange, deep appreciation for TV this year. Not because it is entertainment, but because it's been a companion. My wife and I talk to the TV when we're preparing dinner, and I like to comment on the reporter's haircuts, and I keep track of it. Love local news. I, of course, have my opinions on the national reporters and uh, have a bunch of shows that I keep track of. It reminds me of another time in my life, an earlier one when loneliness wasn't the result of a pandemic, just the result or a product of growing up. In my late teens and early 20s in particular, I went through close to a decade with very few friends and a lot of isolation, sort of either self-imposed or through the jackpot of not making very good friends in cities that I moved to. And TV at that time was very useful for keeping me sane. This would be uh, mid to late 90s, and one of those shows was Seinfeld that I really found some comfort in. I didn't even realize probably how much comfort that show gave me or how much I felt myself a part of that show when I was watching. But I, uh, I was a waiter uh, for some years in my early 20s and one year at a uh, very good Italian restaurant that I'll talk about in the future that I worked at. Uh, Mike Richards came in one night. This is before he uh, destroyed his career. <laughs> This is, uh, is pre-N-bomb Mike Richards, but it was at the peak of Seinfeld, and he came in with what I think was his uh, whole family. It was a bunch of younger kids, himself, and a bunch of other people, and he was wearing a big hat at the time. I remember that. And what I found funny is I was one of the two or three waiters waiting on Mike Richards, and this was a very good Italian restaurant. There was a uh, designated seat for Al Pacino whenever he came in. It was one of those places made a lot of money um, waiting tables. You could wait just a few nights a, a week or uh, half a month and make more in rent there on tips. And there's uh, a lot of stories I'll tell you about this this place. It was very weird. I also uh, waited on Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke uh, one night before they were a known couple, and that was quite funny. There were also just really interesting Chicago personas that would eat there, writers for the newspaper and stuff like that. But the thing that I noticed is that when Mike Richards walked in, I just felt this familiarity to them because I lived in that show so many times. I had more friends on TV than friends in life, and Seinfeld was one of my friends. So it makes sense that Mike or Kramer would be just uh, in the room. And it was a funny moment to sort of check my own sanity for how much I was connected to shows at that time. You know, I mean, I suppose in some extent this would be like other people having Jennifer Aniston come in and they'd be like, oh, there's Rachel. Sort of the way I was when Mike came in. And uh, of course, uh, he didn't recognize me. I just uh, served him the calamari and uh, got him a couple of drinks. But one thing that was very funny too is he had to perform to leave because everyone was very polite in the room, they sort of had a center table. And as I recall, he had this big hat, and when he got up to leave, the entire restaurant sort of got more quiet than it had been, and he did a little pratfall or performance where the hat dropped and he sort of slipped in the air, or he slipped in the, on the ground. 
Everyone applauded, and he and his family could then leave, and it was a funny little Kramer moment in my life at the Italian restaurant that I, uh, you know, I mean, I, I see uh, myself sort of going through a lot of memories on this show, and I should probably talk about that because that was a very interesting, amazing job. I'll get to that later. But anyway, I'm just sort of talking about, at that time, I didn't have a single friend in the city, and those shows were my friends. So it was interesting for that show to suddenly appear in my real life for a moment and for me not to even realize that it was a separation between reality and television. I guess that's sort of what I'm trying to get to. It was just a, it made a lot of sense that Mike Richards would be right in there. It wasn't a starstruck moment at all. It was uh, peculiar and I was tickled by it, but I just gave him the calamari and got his drink and <laughs> Al Pacino was weirder. But yeah, you know, just it was my, uh, my Hollywood time or the Hollywood people time in my life when I was waiting on them in uh, my early 20s. But yeah, so this, uh, so this pandemic, I'm thinking about those shows because I'm having the exact same scenario where I find comfort and community in the TV. And I like the idea of Festivus a lot. And I wonder if this is the year for Festivus because there are a number of complaints. You know, there are many, many reasons to find problems with this year. But a lot of those problems are on the way out. But I would consider the administration that's leaving still capable of giving me grievances. And so for my festivist grievance, I guess if you're going to ask what, uh, what is uh, my grievance, I would say Space Force is my grievance. That name, that Trump tramp stamp that will last for years. Space Force, and then on their way out this weekend, they made it stupider by calling them Guardians, the people who will be working for Space Force are Guardians. It is my honor, on behalf of the President of the United States, to announce that henceforth, the men and women of the United States Space Force will be known as Guardians. It's completely comical. Uh, a space soldier would be even funnier, but Guardians is totally inaccurate. What's going to happen when one of our Guardians kills one of the Chinese uh, Space Forceians <laughs> or something? Or if we kill a Martian, have an international incident because an American Space Force Guardian killed a Martian. Guardian is not a neutral term, and we're not going to be Guardians in Space Force. I hate the term Space Force. It's so stupid. It sounds like a bad movie. I mean, I, I think Arthur Clarke in 2001 called them astronauts, you know, Arthur C. Clarke or whatever. I think uh, I was trying to think, you know, I mean, Space Force is as stupid as Star Wars and Star Wars was stupid itself when Reagan did. I mean, the, 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 the shallow lack of imagination in terms of Republican ideas. Let's call a bunch of lasers in the sky that kind of look like they possibly could be lightsabers. Let's call that Star Wars, and that'll shoot all the missiles. We'll use lasers in sky and call that Star Wars. And and let's call this space. Let's call this Space Force, and then they're Guardians. Obviously, Guardians of the Galaxy is the funniest joke. But so my grievance this year, if I should tell you it, despite the more pressing and obvious ones like uh, COVID or hate itself, the rise of hatred or America's lack of empathy or, or citizenship to just sit in their fucking chair for a few months instead of having to go out every damn evening and keep this damn thing going. Whatever you want to call it. 
those aren't my grievances. I'm just going to focus on Space Force as my grievance. My, uh, my grievance for the year that will extend probably into the rest of my life is going to be the Space Force Guardians. And that is the dumbest way to leave your note. It's like a fart on the way out of the door from Trump. <laughs> See ya, bitches. A new wing of the military is, uh, space or armed forces is Space Force Guardians. I don't know why we couldn't call it NASA still. NASA astronauts, you know. <laughs> if I sound bitter, it's because it's my grievance. And it's Festivus, and so that's what we're talking about. I was, uh, I was trying to think of, like, a better term you know, other than just NASA. But maybe um, if NASA couldn't have been our space component, because it would be uh, NASA is all science and not military, if we have to have space fights up in space, maybe we could have been space operations or space ops. I think that would have made more sense than Space Force. Space Force. It's just too plastic sounding and silly, and now the Guardians. Guardians. That is my Festivus grievance. So I ask you right now, what is your grievance for this year? And it can be more substantial than me just complaining about the name of our space initiative. But I'm wondering if Festivus is really, if this is the year for Festivus. Is 2020 the year for the airing of the grievances? Because I do think we need to get a lot of them out. <laughs> And to hold uh, hold somewhat to this show, this week I'd, I'd like to talk to you about envelope followers, which have very little to do with grievances, but are a great idea. And uh, they're one of the coolest parts of synthesizers. An envelope follower is a module in synthesis that will take any sound you put into it and make it into a series of signals for use of controlling synthesizers. So you can put any sound into it and it will make a pitch noise, which will represent notes and it'll give you gates and triggers, to which effectively work as key presses. And you can play anything into an envelope follower. Even, say, uh, Mike Pence saying Space Force Guardians. Space Force Guardians. And make a synthesizer follow it into a sound. And an easy way to use an envelope follower is you can use it for drum beats where you can just play tapping noises into an envelope follower and it'll fire off a gate to make a drum play. But they're also extremely creative things. And they work best with really spiky sounds because a spiky sound can be interpreted by the kind of circuitry in an envelope follower to make a really specific gate, a trigger, and an envelope sound. And I'll explain that today. So I was trying to think of like, what do I want to use to teach envelope following? And I was thinking, you know, well, Space Force is so Spielberg and dumb. Maybe the Wilhelm scream would be good. That's a scream that's pretty much made it into every Star Wars product and in joke in every Star Wars uh, movie. I think they're finally stopping using the Wilhelm scream, but I think a good 15 or so Star Wars pieces have had the Wilhelm scream in it or Spielberg or George Lucas ones. I know Spielberg is not Star Wars, but they're both silly. You know, Spielberg and Lucas are both silly. They both love the Wilhelm scream. And I was thinking, well, that's a really good sound to generate a envelope follower. But then I was thinking about Festivus and it suddenly uh, dawned on me that a really great track to use as an educational tool for envelope following is the Seinfeld song. The Seinfeld theme is probably the most successful uh, 
sampler-based silly song, Yellow's Oh Yeah or whatever from Ferris Bueller Day Off comes kind of close, but it's nothing compared to the dominance of the Seinfeld theme, which was recorded on the fly in about three hours by, I think, uh, Jonathan Wolf with two Fs. So this week, for our demonstration, we're going to teach you about envelope followers, which I share no grievance with. Nothing but appreciation for them. But it's a Festivus-related theme that has perfect noises for envelope following. So for our demonstration this week, and to make a good new holiday song, I thought it'd be fun and festive to use the Seinfeld theme to teach you about envelope following. So let's get into that. And happy Festivus to everybody. <laughs> 